Good morning. Good morning. Welcome. Welcome back to Resurrection Church. How's everyone doing? Doing good? Well, we are God is, uh, God is with, with us. Wonderful worship as usual. Our uh, worship team is fantastic. And uh, part of what, what happens when you worship the Lord, the reason why we do songs, right, before, this, before the sermon is worship is a way of softening your heart. It's a way of opening up, right? You know, sometimes we're just cold and stiff. And, and it's a way of just sort of, because we're meant to love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, strength, right? With everything about us. And so the heart takes a while to warm up. So the songs help prepare that. And it's also a way of us acknowledging through, uh, through song uh, God's goodness. And so that's what we do. It's not worship and the songs we sing aren't just like something you get, get through. They, they are involved in preparing us for, for hearing the word of God as well. Well, if you have your Bibles, open up to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. And I have a little bit of a, of a, a long sermon today. We'll see. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Um, but I think it will be uh, a blessing and uh, a benefit. Hebrews 9 and... Hebrews, of course, is written to really to acknowledge the greatness of Christ, the supremacy of Christ. And for the, the first listeners were thinking about leaving Christ. And he's been arguing that Jesus is your best option. In Hebrews 9, I'm going to read the first 14 verses. 14 verses, yes, I said that right. We'll see how far we get, okay? Now, even the first covenant had requirements of divine worship and the earthly sanctuary. Stop right there. We just got through talking about how Jesus ushers in the new covenant. The old covenant was the Old Testament. The new covenant was promised in Jeremiah and various in places in Ezekiel and Isaiah. And Christ brings in the new covenant whereby the law in the Old Testament was written on stone. Now in the new covenant, it's written on the hearts of men, the hearts of believers through the Holy Spirit. It's an internal change. So now we're just going to move on to another aspect, and that has to do with worship. Now, even the first covenant had requirements of divine worship and the, and the earthly sanctuary, for there was a tabernacle or a tent prepared. The first part of this tent, uh, in which were the lampstand and the table and the sacred bread, which is called the holy place. And behind the second veil, there was a tabernacle in which was called the Holy of Holies, having a golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold in which was a golden jar holding the manna and Aaron's rod which budded and the tablets of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat of these things, we cannot now speak in detail. Now, he says this because his audience is Jewish, Jewish believers, and they knew everything about the tabernacle. I am going to speak in detail because we're not. We don't have that background. And I think it's going to help out with understanding what his point is, what he's going to do. I'll explain that in a second. Verse 6. Now, when these things have been so prepared, the priests are continuing, continually entering the first part of the tabernacle, performing the divine worship, but into the second, only the high priest enters once a year, not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the sins of the people committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit is indicating, that, is indicating this, that the way into the holy places has not yet been manifested while the first part of the tabernacle is still standing. Again, I'll explain all this, while, which is a symbol of the present time. Accordingly, both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make the worshiper perfect in conscience, since they relate only to food and drink and various washings, requirements for the body imposed until the time of Reformation. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, 
not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy places once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling those who have been defiled, sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Now that's a lot right there. So we're going to take our time and maybe we'll get through all 14 verses. If not, that's okay. Now let's, let me just take you back. First of all, if you remember when God made Adam and Eve, he created them, Genesis 1 and 2. Genesis 3, of course, they sin. Sin enters the world. And because of sin, uh, two things happen. One was, of course, fellowship with God and Adam and Eve were broken. Genesis 1 and 2 it describes how God would meet with them, you know. And, and the Garden of Eden is actually a picture of a sanctuary. It's a picture of a meeting place where you met with God, okay? That's what happened. As a result of sin, though, they were cast out of Eden, and a cherub was actually put up to block the way from going back to have access to God. So ever since then, there, the, the problem is that there isn't access to God because sin separates you and I from God, okay? So the Old Testament had a way of, of approaching God, to having access to God through various regulations and services and things like that. And that's what he's describing in the first part. The point of worship is to come into the presence of God, okay? Now, look at verse 1 real fast. We'll get started in a second. But it says, verse 1, Now, the first covenant had regulations of divine worship and the earthly sanctuary. So there was regulations or requirements for how you're going to access the presence of God. And then what he's going to describe here is, first of all, the, the sanctuary itself, the tent, in verses uh, 1 through 5 or 2 through 5. And then he's going to describe the service of the priests, what they did to... Uh, to get into that presence. But then there's a problem, though, that, there's, that that presence was restricted. Access was actually restricted and also was limited in various ways. It was limited on who can go into God's presence. It was limited on, on the effectiveness of the blood that was shed to cleanse, away, to cleanse the sin. Okay? And so then he brings up in verse, four, uh, verse 11 that the reality of Christ in the New Testament and bringing, and, how, and bringing us fully into that God's presence. Okay, so it's all about going into God's presence and being, having that fellowship with God restored, okay? So far so good? Okay, so we're going to do this. We're going to look at, first of all, the regulations of the Old Covenant because, because what's going on with the tabernacle, what's going on with the priesthood? Because all that is, was the way that God established, and they also picture Christ, what he did to open up the way. Then we're going to look at how that was limited, okay? How really was it didn't really do fully what it was supposed to do, and then look at the realities of, of the new covenant with Christ, okay? Now I'm going to take some time to explain it because I'm going to build a, there's a case I'm building here, okay? So bear with me, and uh, let's first of all look at the regulations of the, the, uh, of the sanctuary. Look at verse, verse 2. For there was a tabernacle prepared. Now the tabernacle was a tent, okay? When Moses and the Israelites were traveling in, in the book of Exodus and the, and the wanderings uh, through, uh, through the wilderness there outside of, uh, out after the Exodus, God dwelt in this tent, and the tabernacle was the tent, which is about 45 feet. Let's imagine now this is the tabernacle, right? The f it's 45 feet long. It's 15 or so feet wide. But outside this tabernacle was another a tent that was like 150 feet long and I think 45 feet wide, okay? It had one opening on the east, okay? So this is the tabernacle structure, had one opening on the east. The, the, the curtain that surrounded, I'm calling it a curtain, but it was like a curtain that was like 15 feet high, was white, made out of linen, speaking of the holiness of God, okay? It had, had one entry on the east side, and on the east side, um, it was actually, it, it was placed in the heart of the tribes. So the tribes are camped around this tabernacle structure, okay? Speaking of God's presence being in the heart of, of Israel. God dwelt in the heart of Israel. 
But directly on the east was the tribe of Judah, and from the tribe of Judah was the Messiah would come, right? So you had one entrance, and the entrance um, was 30 feet wide. So speaking of, of course, a, a wide you know, access, but it didn't have, no one can just step into that courtyard, okay? And I imagine that outside the courtyard, there may have been the sign that says, Levites and priests only pass this point. So you couldn't just walk into it. But what you do it, did if you were a regular person bringing an offering, you then bring it to the priest. But inside this courtyard was Levites and priests. The priests were sons of Aaron. Levites were the sons of Levi. They're both sons of Levi. And they would attend to the sacrifices and the operations of the, of the sacrifice, okay? The one opening, of course, foreshadows Jesus Christ as being the only way and speaks of the exclusivity of Jesus to giving us full access to God. Only through Jesus Christ can we have access to God. Okay? This, inside this courtyard, of course, is a tent. I'll get to that in a second. And the tent itself is, uh, as I said, 15 feet wide, 15 feet high, and 45 feet long. Okay? And this is called the tabernacle. It's called the tent of meeting. Okay, this is where the action happened, okay? Now, the Hebrew writer is not describing all of the things going on. So I'm going to add some things to just to give you a fuller picture, okay? Um, um, so when you went and offered sacrifice, you would bring, let's say, your goat or lamb, and you would present it to the priest or the Levi would take it. And when you walked inside the courtyard, you were first faced with what is called the altar, okay? It was the, the altar of um, uh, the brazen altar. It's about seven and a half feet square, about four and a half feet high. It's square. As soon as you enter, it's right there. And on the corners of this altar were horns. And they would take the animal and they would tie up the animals to the horn, securing it so they can sacrifice it. And this, of course, speaks of Christ being bound to the cross openly out in the court, not inside the actual tent, but outside of God's presence in the world, so to speak, in the earth, being bound as sacrifice for our sins. It pictures the sacrifice of Christ. It pictures the way of forgiveness through Jesus Christ. Christ, like those lambs, were bound to that altar and were sacrificed. And that's how we have access to God. But on the other side, on the next side, behind this altar, was something called a bronze laver. And the laver was a big wash, basically a full of water, where the priest would wash hands and feet. Because as they're sacrificing, they're getting very bloody, right? So they had to wash themselves, lest they die, the scripture says. You, you just don't go, you had to go through all kinds of stuff to, to wash and cleanse and everything else to make sure that you're clean. Because God's holiness is nearby, Exodus 30, 20 says, When they come into the tent of meeting, they shall wash with water so that they will not die. In fact, going to the, you just didn't usher into the presence of God. You didn't, just like you wouldn't walk into Palo Verde nuclear plant, plant and walk into where the nuclear rods are and just walk right in like this, right? You, that's dangerous. You would die. You know, you'd be exposed to all kinds of nuclear energy and all this kind of stuff and get sick and be like Spock in Star Trek and says, live long and prosper. And, you know, Jim, uh, you're, my favorite, you're my best friend. And so uh, that kind of thing. So this bronze, this, this bronze labor is where they would, the priests would wash. And, of course, it pictures Christ who uh, these priests would come in daily and do their rituals and they would wash daily. Speaks of Christ having to cleanse us daily. In fact, uh, when Jesus is about to wash, he's washing his, his disciples' feet. He gets to Peter, and Peter says, no, hey, don't wash my feet. You know, you know that, that's beneath you, Lord. And Jesus says, if I don't wash you, you, you have no part with me. And then Peter says, well, then wash my whole body then. And, and Jesus says these words in John thirteen ten: He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. In other words, you're already clean and cleansed, but because you're walking in the midst of the world, you're getting a little dirty. So there's this constant cleansing of reestablishing a fellowship with God, right? But I've already, I'm taking care of you. You're already clean, right? So now let's, so if, if the courtyard said the sign, now there's no sign, I'm just telling you, but it had restrictions. Only Levites and priests passed this point. If I get to the actual tabernacle, the tent itself, 
it might have said only priest beyond this point. Now, the tabernacle, of course, was a flat-roofed tent um, with, with uh, no windows. Um, it was made out of, of, of three layers. It was a, a white linen, and then they had multiple layers of animal skins. From the outside, it just looked like animal skins. Nothing glorious to the sight, but what inside of it, of course, was the presence of God. Once you walked inside this tent, now we're talking about the tabernacle itself, on your left side would have been a huge, huge, let's say big, large, candlestick, a seven-branched golden candlestick called a menorah. It had a flowery top, like looked like flowers, and had inside each one had, 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 had oil, Okay. This candlestick is the only light source of the tabernacle, um, this, this lampstand. And it speaks, of course, of, um, of Christ as well. But here's the thing, is that lamp always was lit and always was light. It, was like it never went out, okay? That was the light in the tabernacle. Um, by the way, when, um, uh, when our Jewish friends celebrate Hanukkah, they say they said the Hanukkah. There was a miracle at Hanukkah where they only had enough oil for like, I forget, it was like one day or something like that, and this it lasted throughout the season. So, and I'm butchering the the story, but there was a miracle that happened. But that was the menorah, okay. The priest would go in, of course, and would make sure that the lamp was was lit. This lamp speaks of Jesus Christ as being the light of the world, just as God provided light for His people on the wilderness wanderings fire by night, right? Cloud by day, fire by night. So it indicates the presence of God in the life of the believer. And of course, it foreshadows that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. He says in John 9, 5, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And we believers, of course, if we walk uh, in the light, then we have fellowship with one another and his blood cleanses us. Uh, John 1, 4 says, in him was life and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and darkness did not comprehend. So Christ is being the light of the world. So that's on that side. On this side was a table about three and a half feet long and, and, uh, and about a foot and a half wide and about two and a half feet off the ground. It was called the table of showbread. And on this table were 12 loaves of bread, two rows of six, one for each tribe. And this was called, uh, this was actually a golden table. It was made out of wood uh, uh, covered with gold. And this was called the, the showbread of presence. Okay, the bread of presence, the word for Hebrew, uh, in Hebrew is the word of, of, of face. It, it speaks of God's presence during our journey. During the journey of the Israelites in the, uh, uh, in the Exodus, they had the light of God and they had the provision of God. And it also speaks of Christ as well, where he provides for us daily for our sustenance, right? The priest would put that in the, the bread, unleavened bread, uh, on the Sabbath, and then the next Sabbath they would change it out. They were able to eat that old bread and replace it with new. So it was always new bread and make sure there was light as well. Both, of course, represent God's presence with God's fire in the cloud and provision of manna each day. And Jesus Christ, of course, being the bread of life who sustains us who nourishes us spiritually, who says, he says, I am the bread that came out of him. I am that manna. If you remember, manna was God's provision, daily provision, where he supplied for his people. Picturing Christ as being our daily nourishment for us spiritually. He strengthens us. He feeds us through his word. As you read his word, your strength and your soul is, re is sort of renewed, okay? So then you have, so that's the whole, that's, it's called the holy place. But you also have, the Hebrew writer here leaves this out. You have also an altar of incense. You have a veil right here, and behind this veil is God's presence. You had a veil right here. This is the Holy of Holies. We're still in the holy place, but there is an altar of incense. But the Hebrew writer puts the altar within the veil. Now, actually, what he does is he uses a word for the actual, the device that you would, that they would use to, 
spread incense in the holy place. So every day there was a cloud of incense. How many guys like incense? That was back in the 80s, right? Incense was popular. Okay. But every day the priests would, would light incense or would burn incense. They would take coals from the altar out there, put it in this, this box thing with the stick, and they would add incense and put it around the holy place. Well, that, that particular censer, it's called, was also very associated with the high priest, what he did. So the writer of Hebrews puts it within the holy place. Okay, so far so good? Okay. So then he says, um, look at verse, uh, verse 3. Hey, we got to the verse three verses already, okay? <laughs> Behind the second veil of the tabernacle was called the Holy of Holies. Now, of course, the veil... Uh, is is this? It's linen. It's it's got blue. It's got purple. It's got uh, red. It's there's a there's a there's a cherub embroidered on this veil. There's a curtain. Okay, it's like this curtain, right? And this separated the presence of God from the rest of us, right? Okay, God's in there. Okay, but only the high priest then then access this and only one time a year so if you remember back in the courtyard is hey only priests in life Levites at this point past this point only priests past this point and only pre only the high priest one day out of the year on Yom Kippur past this point this is called the veil of the testimony of when the tent Remember, that this is a tent, so when God says, hey, let's move to this other place, they would have to wrap everything up and take it down and take down camp. This veil was used to actually wrap up the Ark of the Covenant, okay? And the, and the priests were in charge of doing that. This room right here in this Holy of Holies is 15 by 15. It's a cube. It's a square. Um, and within this veil, look at verse 4. And having a golder, golden altar of incense, I explained that, and the Ark of the Covenant on all sides with gold. The Ark of the Covenant, of course, was, um, was a box overlaid with gold. It's about three, and a half inch, three feet, nine inches uh, long. Uh, it's about two feet, three inches wide, and two feet high. So how's that for my approximation? It's a box with gold. On top of it, of course, is something called the mercy seat. And on the mercy seat are cherubim. Let's go through this real fast, okay? The Ark of the Covenant is, verse 4, covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden jar holding the manna. Moses uh, instructs Aaron to take a jar of the manna and place it before God continually. And taking some of the manna that they had, you know, at daily God's provision and put it within this Ark, Okay? Speaking of God's daily provision of their pilgrimage from slavery to sonship, from, from, from being delivered, that God was with them, okay? On top of this ark, though, was where God's presence would manifest in something called the Shekinah glory, glory cloud. That's where God, God's presence was, right here. On top, uh, above the ark, above the mercy seat. Inside, of course, the ark was the manna. Uh, inside uh, was the manna that, of course, speaks of Christ as being our ultimate bread, our daily bread. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. You also have something called Aaron's rod, which budded. Aaron was chosen as being the priest, the high priest by God, through a miracle of a, an a, a almond stick that budded uh, a flower and there's significance with that but I won't, it's speaking of God's choice but then you also had within this box this ark the ten commandments the agreement of their covenant right a, a, a acknowledgement of this is our agreement now of course Israel broke that agreement which is the, hence the need for all the stuff that's going to go on in order to go back to have access back to God to get back to Eden so to speak by the way if you remember when Adam and Eve were cast out of Eden. They're cast to what direction? The east. The, the a cherub is placed out here, protecting God's presence. So over here you have cherubim over the ark, sort of protecting God's presence, glorifying God, and uh, 
So you have the Ten Commandments in there, written by the finger of God. Verse 5, And above it were the cherubim of glory, cherubim are angels, overshadowing the mercy seat of these things we cannot speak in detail. Unfortunately, I am giving you great detail, and I hope it's a blessing. So these cherubim, of course, they have wings. There's two of them. They have wings, and they're, they're like on the corners. One's going like this, and one's, they're covering, sort of covering, but they're looking at the mercy seat. They symbolically guard the presence of God. They, they are looking at his presence, and they demonstrate the presence of God. The word mercy seat, which is the top, is a word that means the place of propitiation. Now, this is important, okay? Because propitiation is your satisfaction of the wrath of God so that you can then enter into um, the experience of his goodness, so to speak, okay? Nowadays, that whole concept of propitiation, there's a lot of people in certain churches that want to do away with do away with that but if you don't have propitiation you don't have access to God that's how this is how important that is well in the next chapters we'll get to more deeper discussion on that okay it's a place where uh, where God's wrath was appeased and that good favor was given to the person who sacrificed God's wrath does not mean that he's vengeful but that his righteousness and justice are satisfied. God is love, but he's also righteous and holy, right? You just don't rush into the presence of God. And those tablets tell you, hey, we have this covenant, but you broke it. And when you, when you, when you sin against God, there has to be blood shed. Okay? So all this stuff is there, and it's foreshadowing of Christ, of course. Now, are you guys with me so far? I know it sounds like I'm giving a lecture, but I'm going to leave to a point, okay? So... Now let's, now let's get into the service, okay, the, the service. Now I gave you the structures, now let's give you the service. That's in verse, verse 6 and 7. What happened on a daily basis? He says, look at verse 6. Now when these things have been so prepared, the priests are continually entering the outer tabernacle and performing the divine worship. What does that mean? They're entering... Not the holy pl- of holies, but everything else. The, the sanctuary, the, the holy place it's called, and also the outer courts, okay? So daily they had certain jobs. Uh, it was a daily worship, a daily sacrifice were brought. Every day people brought things, so they had to attend to their, their sacrifices. But they also did three things. One is they kept the light going in the menorah. They made sure the candles were, the, the wicks were trimmed, enough oil to make sure it's uh, continually going. They changed out the bread when necessary, right? They also burned incense within the holy place. So they had this continual work. Priests were, were chosen by lot, and you served a week. So if you read Luke chapter 1, where Zacharias, John the Baptist's dad, was chosen by lot to serve, and he got to go in and serve in the holy place. And that's where the angel Gabriel appeared to him, which is why they were they were like, what's going on? Why is he taking so long? Okay, that's what happened to him. But that was his work, weekly service. This continually daily worship speaks of Christ. His work on our behalf is continually. He daily gives us light. He daily gives us bread. He daily lights our way. He daily provides for us spiritually. Amen? The altar of incense, I failed to mention, is also a picture of prayer. The incense is rosen up as, as a good aroma. It pictures the, pr- the prayer of Christ interceding for us as well. Okay? So all this, is going, all this is pictures of Christ. But the problem, this is this main point he's getting to. The problem, of course, actually, I'll stop with the problem. Let me just, can I just tell you something about the high priest? Yes, of course I can. I, I, I have the floor. Okay. So, <laughs> so I gave you the regular priestly function. I'm going to tell you what the high priest did. On, I'm going to just go through real fast. On the Day of Atonement, because this is it, right? The Day of Atonement where the high priest gets to go in. I don't know about you. I was reflecting on this. I would be scared to death. So the high priest, later on, the Mishnah records that the high priest went a week in advance and stayed in the temple. When the temple was built, he would stay in the temple for a week and practice what he was going to do and make sure he was away from anything that would defile him. If he touched a dead thing, it would defile it. He's out, you know, you can't do it. So... Because he had to make sure he was completely cleansed, right? And make sure he took care of all those, all those issues. Because when he go in the presence of God, he can't have 
you know, any defilement. Otherwise, he will die. And when the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, people held their breath. And it was said that they, he shouldn't stay long within that place because they thought, you know, okay, something happened to him, okay? So here it is. The high priest, on the Day of Atonement, he would dress in his normal, what is called gorgeous robes. He had, you know, fancy turban, and he, ha he has the ephod, he has, his, I'm, I'm not going to go through the scripture, but he has all his regular gear. He offers a sacrifice for himself and his family first, okay? Then he takes off those clothes, takes a bath, and puts on all white, a white turban, a white linen, and a white sash. This white um, uh, sacred tunic is described in Leviticus 16, verse 4. Um, and these white clothes from top to bottom symbolize that he is now free of defilement. This is actually a picture of Jesus Christ. When he came to the world, he stripped himself of his glory and put on plain clothes as a human being, right? That's why after Jesus offers this, or before he's in this, in, in John chapter 17, he says, Father, now glorify me as I had the, well, I'll read it to you. How does that sound? John 17, 5, he says, Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. What he's saying is, I have my white linen clothes on, so to speak. I'm going to do the function of the high priest, but when that's done, I want to put on my regular clothes, my glory, be glorified again, like I was before the world was. See that? So Jesus fulfills that, that role of the high priest. But what he would do then, the high priest, dressed in white clothes, he would then um, take a bowl. Now, there's a lot. This, I'm giving you details because it's necessary because it will help you understand the rest, of, other, the rest of, of Hebrews as well. He would take his, his hands and put it on a bowl, place his hands on a bowl, and sacrifice that for his family, um, and then he'll go and he'll find some goats. There's two goats that were presented to him. One is the goat for the Lord, and one is called the scapegoat. The one for the Lord will be eventually sacrificed. Okay? And eventually the goat of the scapegoat, he will pray over it, transmitting the sins of the people to this goat, and eventually that goat will be led out to the wilderness to hopefully be seen in war. Now here's the thing. Those two goats were one offering. And both those goats are fulfilled in Christ. Christ, who fulfills the goat of the Lord, has hit the sins of the people, all of our sins placed on him, right? But he's also the scapegoat where he actually carries our sins away out of our sight and out of our mind. You see that? All right. And I... I there's other things he's going to do. He's going to light incense. He's going to do all kinds of cleansing and everything else. But ultimately, that's what's going to happen. He's going to offer the sacrifices, confess the sins of the people, and perform this, this function as a high priest. So he can go. He goes in. He's going to go in and sprinkle the mercy seat various times with blood. He's going to go in and out several times, sprinkling different kinds. He's going to mix the blood of the bull and goat together and then sprinkle it. All that to atone for all that while trying to get into the acts of, God, acts of God, right? So here it is. Here's God. Now here's the problem. You guys following so far? Now it's a great problem. This whole system, which is a picture of, of what Jesus Christ would do, was very limited. First of all, it's limited on who can go in, right? It's like there's a sign that says, God is here, but you can't come in. God is really near, but you've got to stay away. That's, that's the idea, right? The other thing, so it was limited in access to God. Priests and Levites only, priest only, high priest only, one guy, not the rest of us. And that guy had to go in, do his, his, his very things, and get out. So it was limited on who can, who can come. It was also limited on how effective it was. Because if the blood of goats and bulls was effective for actually cleansing our sins, the high priest would have said, hey, let's open up this veil. Hey, guys, come on in. Let's go see God. But that didn't happen. In fact, now, in fact, 
this is where scholars debate on. When you, okay, okay, so let me just back up here. When you offered, like say weekly or daily, offerings for sacrifice or sin, they were for sins that you were aware of. But if you forgot a sin or weren't aware of a sin, it wasn't taken care of in that daily sacrifice. So the Day of Atonement was for those sins you forgot, right? But, now this is where the problem comes in. This is where he's getting to in this text. The Old Testament law said, and look at Numbers 15. Can you turn with me Numbers 15? I know you guys have been patient and listening. I'm getting to my point, okay? <laughs> so far, so good? Okay. There was something called you, were, you had atonement for sins that you did unintentionally. But for sins that were happened that you did intentionally, which are called the high-handed sins, we're not really clear if the sacrifice took care of that. Numbers 15, 30, and 31 says, But the person who does anything with a high hand, that means intentionally, whether he is a native or a soldier, that one is... He's blaspheming the Lord, and that person shall be cut off from the, his people because he despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commitment that he says, uh, he's, well, let me turn it to my Bible. I had it in my notes, but I think I mistyped something here, so. I say num numbers 15. Okay, verse 31. But the person who does anything with a high hand, that's intentionally, whether he is a native or sojourner, that one is blaspheming in the Lord, and that person shall be cut off from the people because he has despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandment. That person shall be completely cut off and his guilt with him. We're not entirely certain if, if that atonement in the high in behind the, this curtain right here took care of those sins. This is where the Hebrew writer is getting to. In fact, we know that, that David, we know David intentionally sinned, slept with Bathsheba, murdered her husband, right? And David says in Psalm 51, he says, um, you know, sacrifices and offerings, you, you're not desired, you're, you're, not, uh, you're, not, uh, you're not wanting, but, uh, but a humble and contrite heart. In fact, he recognizes that he can't offer a sin offering for the sin he committed, and so he says, in, uh, he says in Psalm 51, Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. Wash me thoroughly of my iniquity and cleanse my sin, for I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you only I have sinned. Um, then he says, uh, so he, he recognizes, and he throws himself at the mercy of God. So here's the point. Go back to Hebrews, okay? And this is where the, where the writer is saying, this is, this is, it's all going to here, Okay? When you offered those sacrifices and you went and you, uh, you got so far and the priest took you from there, you walked away wondering, what about that one sin? You wondered, does he, has he cleansed me of that one? Okay? The writer also says that the, 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 the sacrifice of the high priest went only skin deep, so to speak, because it didn't really cleanse the heart. You see that? Look at verse. Uh, look at uh, Hebrews nine. In verse ten, he says, "Since they relate only to food and drink and various washings, requirements for the body imposed until the time of reformation." So he had limited access to God, limited effectiveness. So here's what the result is. He says. In verse 8, the Holy Spirit is indicating this, that the way into the holy places has not been manifested while the first part of the tabernacle is standing. As long as this activity is going on, you cannot have access beyond this veil, right? Okay, this speaks of, of the, the present time he's speaking of Old, of old Covenant, right? Uh, verse 9, which is a symbol of the present time, accordingly both gifts and sacrifices are offered which cannot make the worshiper perfect in what? Conscience. Now there's where it's at. 
And this is where I, I kind of struggled with this uh, because it was a very challenging. What does this mean? What is your conscience? Your, your conscience is, is that, that, that God-given friend <laughs> that tells you when you've, been, you've done something wrong, right? Your conscience is that, that ally of God to keep you in check and say, hey, you know, what you did there was wrong, right? Well, the sacrifices of the Old Testament couldn't take care of that because you would offer sacrifice, walk away and say, well, but what about that one thing I did? Is that covered? That's, that, that certainly must not be covered. So you weren't even sure. You were, your, your conscience wasn't clear because that was only skin deep, and now we're talking beneath the surface here, right? And so the problem was this. You still had your conscience. Your conscience, of course, uh, uh, accusing you or defending you, as Paul says. And under this old system, it was inability to give you the freedom of realizing that even that sin was forgiven. Even that premeditated, high-handed sin was cleaned by Christ. So Jesus Christ's sacrifice is now better because now it completely satisfies the requirements of God. You see that? Jesus enters into the perfect tabernacle in heaven with his own blood. Verse 11 the realization of this is verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of his creation. He enters once for all, having obtained their eternal salvation, redemption. Um, verse 14, or verse 13. For if the blood of goats and bulls and ashes of a heifer, sprinkling those who defiled, sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, that means the Old Testament cleansed skin deep only, only externally. But how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Now, we've, taught, we've, we've dealt with a lot, but I need to bring this to a point, okay? Jesus Christ, because of what he did, his atonement dealt with all of those sins, including the ones you're worried about, that still keep you outside the veil. See, what ha here's what happens. If you're a believer, all of your sins have been washed clean, right? But how many of you guys are like me, where you still think about that one or two, those certain sins you did that, and you have a hard time thinking that has actually been cleansed? So what you do is you stay in the outer courts, trying to do religious activity, sacrificing to God to, to make atonement, right? You punish yourself because you think that you don't belong inside the veil, you belong outside to make atonement. You, you hear that Christ has washed away all your sins, but you're not convinced of it because your, your conscience still bothers you. And you're wondering, what can I do to add to the sacrifice? The good news is you don't have to do anything. Christ's blood was enough. That's why the veil was torn. Say, hey, here we go. Come on in, Right? That's the good news. That's why he's telling these Hebrew listeners, saying, hey, you don't have to keep going on here in the tabernacle, the holy section. You can come in, right? And some of us have lack of intimacy with God because there's a veil between us and God because we are still conscious of what we did wrong. And we say, God, I know, I know, I know, but this is really bad, God. This is really, really bad. This one had to be the one exception that you didn't cleanse with your blood and Jesus Christ says, no, the veil's been torn. Get up. Come on. Come on. Come to the fellowship. Come welcome in. You know, access to that God. Has been, all you need is your feet clean, as I told Peter. You don't have, all, that's been taken care of. I made all things new. I've washed that away. That's what the Hebrew writer is saying. You can go, as he says, have your conscience cleansed from, from all your sin. That's the wonderful news. Amen? Hallelujah. Many of us feel distant from God. We feel... We feel that we can't enter God's presence. We, we feel that we have to go through all kinds of motions, religious activities, go through penance and all this kind of stuff to make us feel worthy because we want to feel worthy rather than accepting that we are worthy because of Christ. Don't live by your feelings. Your feelings are liars, right? And your feelings, the devil uses your feelings to say, hey, you're not worthy. See, I told you. See, I told you. See, I told you. Look at that. Yeah, I'm bringing that to mind. Oh, by the way, you forgot about that one sin that you, you complete. Let's bring up this, right? And so for some reason, he knows how to bring up your history, right? But all of that, if Christ's blood sacrificed 
atoned for it, it's washed away. Amen? That's why Paul says in, in, um, in Colossians how, how he is taking our sin. It's like, like all of the things against us were nailed to the cross, laid on the, 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 the Lamb of God, laid on that one, that one animal that was prayed over that would be sacrificed. That's Jesus Christ. That was paid for. Oh, by the way, your sins are now carried so far away as far as the east is from the west that God says, I will remember your sins no more. So whenever somebody brings up, the devil himself, brings up your past, you say, yeah, you know, you're right, but God forgot about it and he took care of it on the cross and I'm not going to dwell on that. See, sometimes we, we keep ourselves like this and not realizing God saying, hey, come on into my presence, worship me, adore, you know, and, and, and you're missing out because you're, you're beating yourself up. I'm not sure if I'm talking to anyone here except for myself. I know it is, right? Because you know what it is? It's pride. You say, you know, I should have done that, you know, because you're too prideful. Why? Because you think you're better than, no, you're, you're, you and I are just, we're, we're frail, sinful people. Accept it, right? But also accept the fact that God says, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God himself, came down, had his blood shed, you may feel like God has forgiven all your sins except that one or the more serious sins, and so you live with a guilty conscience, and you struggle with the thought that God can forgive that one thing. Listen, what you're going to add, what you think you're going to add, is not adding anything to the sacrifice of Christ. Christ took care of it all. In fact, just, just believe it. Just receive it. Just say, I don't get it. I don't understand it. Because if it was me, I would have said, yeah, you pay up. You, you work so hard. You, but God's not like that, right? He's not looking way to keep you out. All this that God did was designed to keep to, to invite you in. Amen? All, all this he did, he, it was his idea. It's like, we have broken fellowship. They're, they're out there, I'm in here, and I really want them to be with me. So I'll do whatever it takes. I'll go through this whole system, give them pictures of Christ, but now send my, my son Jesus, who can just do it once, and that's it, and we can go on from there, right? You may have personal boundaries between you and God, but you also, here's another thing, though, too. You may also have a veil between you and other people. Okay, so then take care of that. Address those things, right? When Adam and Eve sinned, they were separate from God and they were separate from one another. There was a veil between them and God and a veil between them and, and each other. The first, hey, she said it. Well, he, it's his fault. It's her fault, you know? And it's been going on and on, right? All the point is that Christ has satisfied that. No, no more uh, is there a need to be veils between you and God or veils between you and people. No reason for you to stay out in the outer court trying to appeal and trying to, to atone for your sin with blood that's imperfect when the perfect Son of God has shed his perfect blood for us. Let me ask you one question, two questions. Is your sense of guilt, the feeling that you were dirty, is that what makes you uneasy in God's presence? Yes, you could say, Lord, I, I, I know I've, I've, my feet are really dirty, Lord. Please cleanse me, but thank you for the blood of Christ. Jesus Christ is God's way to you and your way to God. And God says, I have taken away your sins. And Paul says, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Let not any veil separate between us and God. Let it not be anything in our hearts that would keep us from intimacy and closeness with God. Because God has paved the way for that to happen. Amen? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that the old way it said, God's here, but you can't come in. God, God is near, but don't get too close. But the new way says, Jesus Christ, who's, who's God in the flesh, has paved the way for fellowship and relationship with you. In the old covenant, there were certain sins that we're not sure if they could be atoned for. But in Jesus Christ, all of our sins, every single last one of them, intentional, unintentional, things we remember, things don't remember, are all paid for by the blood of the, the perfect Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And because of that, Lord, there ought not to be a veil between us and God. He welcomes us through the blood of, because of the blood of Christ. Thank you, Lord. We can have full access to the Father. We can come boldly. And we belong there because of Christ, not because of works we've done, Lord, because of his perfect sacrifice on the cross. We feel like we don't belong, but Jesus says, hey, I, I pay the price for you. you can come in. Lord, thank you that you can clear our conscience, 
you can relieve us. Maybe some of us still think about things we've done. Father, I pray that that person would lay that at the cross as well, because that was paid for, and would receive your forgiveness. We bless you, Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless the Lord. We got through 14 verses. Amen. One verse I can spend the whole weekend do, but, but so, okay, stand up, stand up. Why, why not? You know? It's celebration, right? Celebration. Do you realize, so I can tell you what, do you realize in the scripture there's only two, two chapters that talk about creation, but there's 50 verses that talk about the, tab- the tabernacle. Or chapters, 50 chapters that talk about the tabernacle, and t- only two for creation. Which tells you God's emphasis is saying, here is my process, and here's what's going to happen. Wh- here's, here's my way of getting access back to me. The, the foreshadowing of the, the, as he calls a parable of the temple, which foreshadows to Christ, who takes care of all of that. We can do a deep study of the tab- tabernacle someday. Like There's a lot more depth. Every single thing points to Christ, which is wonderful. You know, I love, God's really cool. And, and, uh, did I just say that? God's really cool. <laughs> He's awesome, right? He, listen, if you want to call somebody awesome, call God, call God awesome. You know, sometimes people text me thinking, oh, that's awesome. Not really, really. God's really, he's the only one who's awesome. Amen? Amen. Okay. Well, let me bless you guys today. Hey, listen, looking forward to this Thursday? Thursday, right? Couples, married couples at our house. Uh, we haven't had a chance to have a married couple fellowship in quite a while, so, you know, we do things with everyone. We, we don't want to exclude, you know, we do. You know, so, get to know married couples. So, if you're married, come on over. Um, and also, we're planning a Christmas party, December 16th. And Lord willing, here's the deal. Uh, depending on uh, planning tentatively Christmas Eve service, a one-hour service, uh, that's on a Saturday. Christmas Day, have the day off, right? Spend time with your family. So pray for that. Anyway, Lord, I want to pray your blessing on, on my friends, my brothers and sisters here, Lord. And thank you for that, Father that you sent Jesus Christ to atone for our sins, and the veil has been torn. And I want to bless them with these words, the ironic blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys have a wonderful, wonderful week. We'll see you next time.